this resurrection weekend, what a perfect time to be telling people that there is hope. We have a hope. That's not just a hope, it's also a reality. Have you ever seen something that seemed too good to be true? Too good to be true. I remember, sorry, Urina, but I was in the Dominican Republic, your home country, and it's a beautiful place. And like many places where there are tourists, including here in America, you can buy things that seem like they're at a price that's too good to be true. I bought some sunglasses there on the beach on, in La Playa, and those were some cool-looking sunglasses. I bargained with a guy, and I got a price that seemed pretty good. At the end of the day, I noticed that my sunglasses had partially worn off on my face. The plastic was so cheap, it was rubbing off, and then I had cracked a lens, and then I lost them in the ocean. It indeed was too good to be true. Maybe some of you have received those phone calls, that cruise offer, a free cruise. We want to offer you this free cruise. I called one time, or I continued with that process, and I wanted to find out about this free cruise. Turns out it is too good to be true. And by the time you pay all these extra fees, it's not a free cruise. It's just another way to ensnare you in their advertising campaign. Maybe some of you remember several years ago receiving the publishing clear, publisher's clearinghouse letters in the mail with very promising word on the lettering on the outside of the envelope saying basically, you've won something. You're, and then fine print may be eligible to win the sweepstakes. In life, things that seem too good to be true often are, except when it comes to the gospel, except when it comes to the good news of Easter, of the resurrection. You know, on that early morning 2,000 years ago, the disciples began to get these clues that Jesus had been risen, but to them it seemed too good to be true that they ruled it out. I think to the story as it's recorded in the Gospel of John and in other parts of the Gospels. Mary goes to the tomb along with other ladies and they look and the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away and they are worried. Well, what happened to the body? He's not here. He must have been stolen. Never thinking, never dawning on their mind that Jesus was risen like he actually said. It was too good to be true. The ladies told some of the guys, and, and they didn't believe the ladies because they were just women showing their, their sexism, something that we still have today, unfortunately. It's too good to be true. Peter and John, they, they check out the tomb. It's empty, but the body must have been stolen. Where did they take him to? It's too good to be believed. Mary uh, stayed alone there in the garden for a while. She, she was crying. She was wondering what's going on, what's happening. And she sees through her tears somebody standing there. She supposes him to be the gardener, and she tells him, they've taken his body, and I don't know where he is. 
never realizing that was Jesus until later. She realized it was too good. It, it had to be true because we're dealing with Jesus. Finally, the other disciples believed only after they saw Jesus. They didn't believe by hearing. But poor Thomas, he wasn't a part of that group initially. And so to him, it was still too good to be true until he saw Jesus face to face. The message of Easter, the message of the resurrection is something that is so amazing. It doesn't seem like it could be possible. But my friends, this morning, I want to tell you that the good news of Easter is perhaps even better than you even realized. It's too good not to be true. And so I want to open up our Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, because I want to share something that has brought joy to my heart. As we've looked at passages that relate to what Jesus did for us on Friday, on Sabbath, on Resurrection Sunday. The good news of Easter goes back a long ways, far before even our world was created. John chapter 17 and verse 24. This is Christ's last prayer before things really start to accelerate and lead him to the cross. His last normal prayer and his disciples are able to listen in before Gethsemane occurs. Jesus is praying for his believers, as we've talked about in previous weeks. And then we get to verse 24. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold the glory which you have given me. For you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus, before he goes into the cross experience, before he, he will utter those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Takes a moment to express the reality that the Father had loved him from even before the foundation of the world. Of course, Jesus has always existed like the Father and the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting is that it's not just Jesus who has been loved from the foundation of the world. Go back to verse 23. I in them, and you in me, that they, speaking of his disciples and believers, all believers, may be made perfect in, in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus in verse 24 says, Father, you've loved me from before the foundation of the world. And right before that, he said, my goal is for my believers to realize that you, Father, love them in the same way that you love me. You've loved them from before the foundation of the world. Now that's a little mind-blowing because we weren't around then. Our world wasn't around then. How is this possible? Yet other scriptures affirm this is reality. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved them, I have loved thee 
with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, a place that people confuse for a God of vengeance. Not so. The God of the Old Testament says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Jesus picks up on this and affirms this. Father, I want you to love them. I want them to know that that you love them like you love me, and you love me from before the earth was even made. Easter wasn't the time when God started to love us because Jesus paid the price for our sins and then God was no longer angry at us. That's a distorted, warped picture of the Father. Easter is another reminder that the God that has always loved us went through with the plan to demonstrate that love in the ultimate way. To put into action the plan to save us. But I want you to see that this isn't just one verse. It's not a a one-off in the Bible. In fact, this phrase, before the foundation of the world, pops up multiple times in Scripture. Let's go to another passage. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start there in verse 3. I've had some good conversations about these passages with my brother Malcolm. And he's, he's so right. God has loved us from before the foundation of the world. But that's not it. That's not only it. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 and onward. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We were chosen You were chosen. All of us were chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be in Christ and that we should receive the spiritual blessings, that we should be a part of this amazing family. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons or daughters by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. Before the world was even made, God knew you were going to exist. And because of that foreknowledge, he made a plan to save you. And he started loving you. Now, this kind of boggles our mind because we don't have that ability to see into the future. And sometimes people get a little troubled when they read words like predestined because they think that means that God chose, you're going to be saved and you're going to be lost. I'd like to suggest that that also is a misunderstanding of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 tells us, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined. He called. You see, God has this ability that we don't possess and we can't understand, but God is able to know what's going to happen in the future. And based on that knowledge of our free choices, he's able to make a plan. You'll recall, even with Peter, 
Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. How did Jesus know that? Because God is able to peel back the veil of the future and look into it. But in spite of Jesus' knowledge of what Peter was going to do, Jesus said, but I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. So even though God knows about our failures, he's making plans to help us as best as he can so that we won't fail or so that when we do fail, we'll be able to get back up again. And if God were to foresee us making different free choices, God would foresee something different. And we could go down a long rabbit trail here, but the big idea is that God has known about you for a very long time. Before the foundation of the world was laid, he knew about you and he loved you. And Ephesians tells us he chose you. He made a plan so that you could be saved. What was this plan involving? Well, let's go to our next passage, 1 Peter chapter 1. Continuing on towards the end of your Bible, we pass Hebrews and we eventually get to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look there in verse 18. God somehow saw in the future you and me, and he loved us. And he wanted to save us. He chose us to be adopted into his family. How was this going to be possible? Well, look at verse 18 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. This Easter weekend, we remember that Jesus didn't buy us with dollars or with trinkets or with coins. He bought us back with his blood. He paid the ultimate price so that we could be a part of his eternal family. The precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last days for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So God's loved us from the foundation of the world. He's chosen us to be a part of his family from the foundation of the world. Now, how could he do that, knowing that we were going to fall into sin? Well, with the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross 2,000 years ago, but was promised before the foundation of the world. He was foreordained. In other words, Jesus, knowing what would come in the future, made a plan to give up everything. And his plan was, when he said he's going to do something, he does it. Now, I've been very guilty in my life of saying I'm going to do something. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to go four times a week, five times a week to the gym, and that's what I'm going to do. And then what happens two weeks later? Well, I know that's what I said I was going to do. That's what, really what I wanted to do, but hey, once a week, that's better than nothing, right? 
It's easy to say you're going to do something and then change your mind later. But when God, looking to the future, saw what would happen to our world, Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, they all committed to a plan to rescue us. And when they said, this is what we're going to do, there was no changing it. Again, they weren't determining our fate. They were looking into the future at our free choices, to what we would choose. Our future is 100% up to us. If you want to be saved, you will be saved if you choose Jesus. And if you don't want that, God will not bring you to heaven kicking and screaming and yelling. He'll let you choose not to be there. But just know, his choice from the very beginning was for you to be in the kingdom. Because it tells us in other places in the Bible, 1 Timothy 2.4, for example, that God desires everybody to be saved. God doesn't always get his desires. And that's one reason we know that he's not determining the fate of the universe, because God wants everybody to be saved. But we know that not everyone will be saved. Because were God to save everybody, people wouldn't be happy in heaven if they didn't want to be there, if they didn't love God. But from the foundation of the world, there was a plan. There was a love. There was a a commitment to bring us into the family forever using the precious blood of Jesus. Because of that, Let's go to Revelation 13. Notice what Jesus is called in Revelation 13. We only have this scripture and then one more scripture. And then we'll be done. Revelation 13. We're going to look there at verse 8. A lot of people are afraid when they read Revelation 13 because it talks about these beasts and and, uh, times of trouble. But notice this awesome passage of hope right there in verse 8, right in the thick of it. Revelation 13, verse 8. It says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. That's not talking about God. It's talking about worshiping the beast, power, etc., whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from when? From the foundation of the world. In Revelation, there's only one lamb, and that lamb is Jesus. So right here, talking about people in the last days who will be worshiping the opposite of the lamb, the counterfeit Messiah, the anti-Christ, it talks about the real Christ, and it says he's been slain from the foundation of the world. Now, was Jesus killed as a literal lamb in heaven? Thousands of years ago? No, he wasn't. In fact, Hebrews, in another passage, we won't go there, but you can jot it down. Hebrews 9, 24 through 28, talks about the foundation of the world, and it says Christ came once to offer his blood for us. But because God's promises and his statements about what he's going to do are so certain, it was as if Jesus was slain because he had committed to dying on the cross some 2,000 years ago, to giving up his blood, his life, his all for you and for me. He's called the lamb that was slain. 
from the foundation of the world. In the beginning, there was a God of love that knew about you and me, and he loved us. He also knew that our world would fall into sin and rebellion. And so there was a plan made, a painful plan, because it was going to involve separation and death and taking on the sins of the world. But that plan was worth it because God sees you, not as you and I see ourselves sometimes, but he sees us as infinitely valuable because that's what we are in his eyes. And so Easter reminds us that it wasn't just the events of those three days. It's been a God who has loved us with an everlasting love even before the world was made for you and for me. And now we go to our last passage. Because of all these things, go to Matthew. Matthew 25. God has had some other plans for a long time because of what he had planned and what he accomplished on the cross. Matthew 25, verses 33 through 34. Matthew 25, verses 33 through 34. This is the parable of the sheep and the goats, the saved and the lost. And notice what it says there. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, those are the ones who are saved, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God, knowing that you and me and many people around the world will accept his plan that he's had for thousands of years, has started the preparation work. It's a work that Jesus said, he was going to go do. <coughs> and he's been planning for our salvation ever since then. What's the good news of Easter? God has always loved us. He's always planned for us to be saved. He's always been preparing for that moment when we would accept him and, and receive him, be adopted, and then join his everlasting kingdom. And right now, he's continuing that preparing work in heaven, getting those finishing touches on those mansions, on those rooms for us. And he's waiting for us to say, yes, I accept your wonderful salvation. I accept this plan and the precious blood of Jesus. And God, I also want to be a part of helping others to be a part of this wonderful family. Easter reminds us, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, love us with an everlasting love. And God wants everybody in the world to know that too. That's why we, we do meetings like we're, we're starting on Friday, encouraging you to tell other people, Hope is awakening. Hopeawakens.com.org. Let people know there's good news. There's hope. There's salvation. 
And there's a God who has loved us from the beginning and has never stopped loving us and never will stop loving us. Are you thankful for that love? Have you accepted that love? Are you willing to share that love? I invite you to bow your heads with me and pray as we respond to this amazing and wonderful love of God. Dear Father in heaven, we're thankful that you love us. It doesn't make sense why you love us. It seems too good to be true. But because of who you are, Father, it's too good not to be true. And we just say thank you, thank you, thank you. We want to accept your love. We want to accept your cleansing blood to, to wash away our sins. And we want to accept your resurrection power to have life, to live new lives, better lives, and to tell others about how good you are. We love you, we thank you, and we're looking forward to seeing you face to face someday, Lord. May that day come soon, in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, amen and amen. God bless you. Let others know about this good God that we have. We'll see you soon.